Chapter Thirty Six of the Fortunes of Glencore. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Fortunes of Glencore by Charles James Gleaver. Chapter Thirty Six A Fevered Mind. Harcourt passed the morning of the following day in watching the street for Scaresby's arrival. Glencore's impatience had grown into absolute fever to obtain the missing letter, and he kept asking every moment at what hour he had promised to be there and wondering at his delay. Noon passed over. One o'clock. It was now nearly half-past, as a carriage drove hastily to the door. "'At last!' cried Glencore, with a deep sigh. "'Sir Gilbert Bruce, sir, requests to know if you can receive him,' said the servant to Harcourt. "'Another disappointment,' muttered Glencore, as he left the room, when Harcourt motioned to the servant to introduce the visitor. "'My dear Colonel Harcourt,' cried the other, entering, "'excuse a very abrupt call,' but I have a most pressing need of your assistance. I hear you can inform me of Lord Glencore's address. He is residing in North Wales at present. I can give you his post-town. Yes, but can I be certain that he will admit me if I should go down there? He is living, I hear, in strict retirement, and I am anxious for a personal interview. I cannot ensure you that, said Harcourt. He does live, as you have heard, entirely estranged from all society. But if you write to him, ah, there's the difficulty, a letter and its reply takes some days. And is the matter, then, so very imminent? It is so. At least it is thought to be so by an authority that neither you nor I will be likely to dispute. You know his lordship intimately. I fancy. Perhaps I may call myself as much his friend as any man living. Well, then, I may confide to you my business with him. It happened that, a few days back, Lord Adderley was on a visit with the King at Brighton, when a foreign messenger arrived with despatches. They were, of course, forwarded to him there and as the king has a passion for that species of literature, he opened them all himself. Now, I suspect that his majesty cares more for the amusing incidents which occasionally diversify the life of foreign courts than for the great events of politics. At all events, he devours them with avidity, and seems conversant with the characters and private affairs of some hundreds of people he has never seen nor in all likelihood will ever see in turning over the loose pages of one of the despatches from naples i think he came upon what appeared to be a fragment of a letter of what it was or what it contained i have not the slightest knowledge adderley himself has not seen it nor any one but the king all i know is that it concerns in some way lord glencore for immediately on reading it he gave me instructions to find him out and send him down to Brighton. 
i am afraid were you to see glencore your mission would prove a failure he has given up the world altogether and even a royal demand would scarcely withdraw him from his retirement at all events i must make the trial you can let me have his address and perhaps you would do more and give me some sort of introduction to him something that might smooth down the difficulty of a first visit harcourt was silent and stood for some seconds in deep thought which the other mistaking for a sign of unwillingness to comply with his request quickly added if my demand occasion you any inconvenience or if there be the slightest difficulty nay nay i was not thinking of that said harcourt pray excuse me for a moment i will fetch you the address you spoke of and without waiting for more he left the room the next minute he was in glencore's room hurriedly narrating to him all that had passed and asking him what course he should pursue glencore heard the story with a greater calm than harcourt dared to hope for and seemed pleased at the reiterated assurance that the king alone had seen the letter referred to and when harcourt abruptly asked what was to be done he slowly replied i must obey his majesty's commands i must go to brighton but are you equal to all this have you strength for it i think so at all events i am determined to make the effort i was a favorite with his majesty long ago he will say nothing to hurt me needlessly nor is it in his nature to do so tell bruce that you will arrange everything and that i shall present myself to-morrow at the palace remember glencore that if you say so i must be sure and keep my word well so i mean george i was a courtier once upon a time and have not outlived my deference to a sovereign i'll be there you may answer for me from the moment that glencore had come to this resolve a complete change seemed to pass over the nature of the man it was as though a new spring had been given to his existence the reformation that all blandishments of friendship all the soft influences of kindness could never accomplish was more than half affected by the mere thought of an interview with a king and the possible chance of a little royal sympathy if harcourt was astonished he was not the less pleased at all this he encouraged glencore's sense of gratification by every means in his power and gladly lent himself to all the petty anxieties about dress and appearance in which he seemed now immersed nothing could exceed indeed the care he bestowed on these small details ever insisting as he did that his majesty being the best-dressed gentleman in europe these matters assumed a greater importance in his eyes i must try to recover somewhat of my former self said he there was a time when i came and went freely to carlton house when i was somewhat more than a mere frequenter of the prince's society they tell me that of late he is glad to see any of those who partook of his intimacy of those times who can remember the genial spirits 
who made his table the most brilliant circle of the world, who can talk to him of Hanger and Kelly and Sheridan and the rest of them. I spent my days and nights with them, warming with the recollection of a period which, dissolute and dissipated as it was, yet redeemed by its brilliancy many of its least valuable features, Glencore poured forth story after story of a time when statesmen had the sportiveness of schoolboys, and the greatest intellects loved to indulge in the wildest excesses of folly. A good jest upon Eldon, a smart epigram on Sidmouth, a quiz against Fantastart, was a fortunate court, and there grew up thus around the prince a class who cultivated ridicule so assiduously that nothing was too high or too venerable to escape their sarcasms. Though Glencore was only emerging out of boyhood, a young subaltern in the prince's own regiment, when he first entered this society, the impression it had made upon his mind was not the less permanent. Independently of the charm of being thus admitted to the most choice circle of the land, there was the fascination of intimacy with names that even amongst contemporaries were illustrious. I feel in such spirits today, George, cried Glencore at length, that I vote we go and pass the day at Richmond. We shall escape the possibility of being bored by your acquaintance. We shall have a glorious stroll through the fields, and a pleasant dinner afterwards at the Star and Garter. Only too well pleased at this sudden change in his friend's humor, Harcourt assented. The day was a bright and clear one, with a sharp frosty air, and that elasticity of atmosphere that invigorates and stimulates. They both soon felt its influence, and as the hours wore on, pleasant memories of the past were related and old friends remembered and talked over in a spirit that brought back to each much of the youthful sentiments they recorded. If one could only go over it all again, George, said Glencore, as they sat after dinner, up to three and twenty, or even a year or two later, I'd not ask to change a day, scarcely an hour. Whatever was deficient, in fact, was supplied by hope. It was a joyous, brilliant time, when we all made partnerships of our good spirits and traded freely on the capital. Even Upton was frank and free-hearted then. There were some six or eight of us, with just fortune enough never to care about money, and none of us so rich as to be immersed in dreams of gold, as ever happens with your millionaire. Why could we not have continued so to the end? Harcourt adroitly turned him from the theme which he saw impending, his departure for the continent, his residence there and his marriage, and once more occupied him in stories of his youthful life in London, when Glencore suddenly came to a stop and said, I might have married the greatest beauty of the time, of a family, too, second to none in all England. You know to whom I allude. Well, she would have accepted me, 
her father was not averse to the match a stupid altercation with her brother lord hervey at brooks's one night an absurd dispute about some etiquette of the play-table estranged me from their house i was offended at what i deemed their want of courtesy in not seeking me for i was in the right every one said so i determined not to call first they gave a great entertainment and omitted me and rather than stay in town to publish this affront i started for the continent and out of that petty incident a discussion of the various trifle imaginable there came the whole course of my destiny to be sure said harcourt with assumed calm every man's fortune in life is at the sport of some petty incident or other which at the time he undervalues and then we scoff at those men who scrutinize each move and hesitate over every step in life as triflers and little-minded while if your remark be just it is exactly they who are the wise and prudent cried glencore with warmth had i for instance seen this occurrence trivial as it was in its true light what and where might i not have been to-day my dear glencore the luckiest fellow that ever lived were he only to cast a look back on opportunities neglected and conjectures unprofited by would be sure to be miserable i am far from saying that some have not more than their share of the world's sorrows but take my word for it every one has his load be it greater or less and what is worse we all of us carry our burdens with us as much inconvenience to ourselves as we can i know what you would say harcourt it is the old story about giving way to passion and suffering temper to get the better of one but let me tell you that there are trials where passion is an instinct and reason works too slowly i have experienced such as this give yourself but fair play glencore and you will surmount all your troubles come back into the world again i don't mean this world of balls and dinner parties of morning calls and afternoons in the park but a really active stirring life come with me to india and let us have a raid amongst the jaguars mix with the pleasant light-hearted fellows you'll meet at every mess who ask for nothing better than their own good spirits and good health to content them with the world just look out upon life and see what numbers are struggling and swimming for existence while you at least have competence and wealth for all you wish and bear in mind that round the table where wit is flashing and the merriest laughter rings there is not a man no not one who hasn't a something heavy in his heart but yet who'd feel himself a coward if his face confessed it and why am i to put this mask upon me for what and for whom have i to wear these disguises cried glencore angrily for yourself it is in bearing up manfully before the world you'll gain the courage to sustain your own heart ay glencore you'll do it to-morrow in the presence of royalty you'll comport yourself with dignity and reserve 
and you'll come out from the interview higher and stronger in self-esteem. You talk as if I were some country squire who would stand abashed and awestruck before his king. But remember, my worthy colonel, I have lived a good deal inside the tabernacle, and the mysteries are no secrets to me. Reason the more for what I say, broke in Harcourt. Your deference will not obliterate your judgment. Your just respect will not alloy your reason. I'll talk to the king, sir, as I talk to you, said Glencore passionately. Nor is the visit of my seeking. I have long since done with courts and those who frequent them. What can royalty do for me? Upton and yourself may play the courtier and fawn at levies. You have your petitions to present, your favors to beg. You want to get this or to be excused from that. But I am no supplicant. I ask for no place, no ribbon. If the king speak to me about my private affairs, he shall be answered as I would answer any one who obtrudes his rank into the place that should only be occupied by friendship. It may be that he has some good counsel to offer. Counsel to offer me, burst in Glencore, with increased warmth. I would no more permit any man to give me advice unasked for than I would suffer him to go to my tradespeople and pay my debts for me. A man's private sorrows are his debts, obligations between himself and his own heart. Don't tell me, sir, that even a king's prerogative absolves him from the duties of a gentleman. While he uttered these words, he continued to fill and empty his wine-glass several times, as if passion had stimulated his thirst, and now his flashing eyes and his heightened color betrayed the effect of the wine. "'Let us stroll out into the cool air,' said Harcourt. "'See what a gorgeous night of stars it is.' "'That you may resume your discourse on patience and resignation,' said Glencore scoffingly. No, sir, if I must listen to you, let me have at least the aid of the decanter. Your bitter maxims are a bad substitute for olives, but I must have wine to swallow them. I never meant them to be so distasteful to you, said Harcourt good-humouredly. Say, rather, you troubled your head little, whether they were or not, replied Glencore whose voice was now thick from passion and drink together. You and Upton, and two or three others, presume to lecture me, who, because gifted, if you call it gifted, I'd say cursed, I, sir, cursed with the coarser natures, temperaments, where higher sentiments have no place, fellows that can make what they feel subordinate to what they want, you appreciate that, I hope. That stings you, does it? Well, sir, you'll find me as ready to act as to speak. There's not a word I utter here I mean to retract to-morrow. My dear Glencore, we have both taken too much wine. Speak for yourself, sir, 
if you desire to make the claret the excuse for your language i can only say it's like everything else in your conduct always a subterfuge always a scapegoat oh george george i never suspected this in you and burying his head between his hands he burst into tears he never spoke a word as harcourt assisted him to the carriage nor did he open his lips on the road homewards. End of chapter 36